person's greed is more important than love or loyalty, can you ever really be happy? Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today we're going to cover the case of Cynthia and David Mueller while I drink my vodka and iced tea, but of course. Cynthia Mueller grew up having a typical military life. Her father was in the armed forces, so they traveled a lot. She never really got a chance to stick her feet in the sand. She grew up very timid and quiet, but all that changed when she graduated from high school and she could start making her own decisions. She started going to Arizona State University for public programming, and it's there that she started to blossom. She became outgoing and was actually known as a social butterfly. She got out and she dated a lot. She was just having a lot of fun. In 1999, she started at a company called APS, and that's where she met David Mueller. David was from Michigan. He was very intelligent and was actually thinking about going to med school, but he decided that he was going to switch to civil engineering. He was a lot more reserved than Cynthia. He was more of the quiet type. He didn't really date a whole lot, but I mean, he still saw people here and there, but nothing like what Cynthia was. But I mean, you know, they say opposites attract. That wasn't the case right away, though. When they first met, David actually wasn't interested in Cynthia, but co-workers convinced him to go out. They were all going out for dinner after work, and they said, why not? Try to get the new girl. Maybe you guys will have a lot in common. And so they went out as a group. That way, you know, it wasn't as stressful or intimidating, nothing like that. While they were all out, they seemed to really hit it off. So they decided that they will go on a date one-on-one and see what happens. But only after a few short months, David proposed and Cynthia said yes. They were married already within only six months of dating, but they were both happier than they had ever been before. Everyone was happy except their place of employment. APS had a strict no dating rule. So when they got word that they had actually gotten married, They told the couple that they were going to fire Cynthia. They were going to demote David to be a subcontractor. So David decided that he would be the one to lead the company. And he got a new job as a contractor at a nuclear plant in Tonopah, Arizona. He started making great money to the point that Cynthia didn't even have to work anymore. So she became a stay-at-home mom. They had a daughter. And then five years later followed a son. In 2009, David started to experience unusual health problems. His limbs were starting to go numb and his hands were having a hard time doing the things that he used to be able to do. He wasn't really able to hold things. You could just tell his his body was given up. They weren't really sure what was going on. When he would walk around, he would stumble. So he went to the doctor's get checked out, and he was diagnosed with ALS, which is a degenerative neuromuscular disorder, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It all progressed so fast that he was in a wheelchair by 2010, and he was bedridden. He was unable to walk. 
Cynthia goes back to work, but this time as a real estate agent, trying to keep the family afloat. But with her busy schedule, she had to hire someone to help take care of David when she was away from the home. She hired a man named Angel, who came from Washington and started doing the day shift in November while Cynthia was visiting her father. When she came home, she told everybody that she had great news, that she was bringing home with her Charlie Todd, who went by Chuck, who was actually her father's friend. He was age 61 by this time. She was 55. And he was going to come and stay with them. They had made arrangements that he would take the night shift for a trade so he could live in their basement rent-free. He was a fellow veteran and a family friend, but he also had his own health issues, so he really could have used the warm weather. It was a win-win for everybody. She had all shifts covered, and everybody else was happy as well. November 16, 2012, in Prescott, Arizona, 911 gets a phone call from Angel stating that he found David unresponsive. He told the dispatcher that he touched David's feet and he could feel how cold they were. Cynthia was not home at the time that David was found, but she did beat the police when arriving back at the home. When she got there and was told what happened, she dropped to the ground and was just inconsolable, bawling, screaming. When the cops arrived, they said that the scene looked like any other scene where someone dies at home. There was no signs of a struggle. There was no cuts. There was no blood, no defensive wounds. They decided to call his doctor to tell him of the passing, and his doctor is shocked. And the doctor tells them, you know, like, yeah, David was ill, but at the time of his passing, he was not terminally ill. The doctor also said that this is not consistent with somebody who dies from ALS. The cops question all three that are in the house, Cynthia, Angel, and Charlie. Cynthia was not of any help. She couldn't do anything but cry and scream and throw herself around. Angel told them that he had came into the bedroom and that he thought David was sleeping. So he was like, hey, David, and there was no response. So he said his name again still no response. So he went up and he touched his foot and could feel how cold it was. And that's when he knew that he was going to need to call 911. When the cops talk to Chuck, he tells the cops that his purpose there was to help around the house. He said the last time he recalled hearing David alive was around 2 a.m. So they were trying to put their timeline together of when this could have happened. David's wishes were that his body would be used for science purposes. So his body was taken to a research facility in Phoenix, Arizona. On November 24th, eight days after the death and over 200 miles away in Henderson, Nevada, a woman calls 911 while driving, telling police she's being followed and harassed by a man behind her. She tells them that the car goes around her and starts yelling out of his window. While she's on the phone, that car even goes around her car and starts yelling out of their window at Cynthia. And it was so loud that dispatch could actually hear the whole conversation. She pulls into a gas station, hoping that he would just keep going. But to her surprise, he even follows her to the gas station and starts arguing with her. The cops arrive. And that's when they realize it's Cynthia and Chuck. 
At the station, Chuck starts to tell about how they got to this point. He told them that they were taking the kids on vacation after David's death to re-enlighten the mood and get the kids' mind off of it. But they ended up getting in a fight. So Cynthia had packed up her stuff and she left. He told them that he did not go after her, that they just happened to cross paths. It was just all one big misunderstanding. The cop could tell by his demeanor that he was just getting more and more aggravated. So they decide, okay, his anger is just getting worse and worse. And out of nowhere, he just blurts out, if you really want to know what's going on, me and her just committed a murder in Prescott. The cops hurry and they get on the phone and they call David's doctor and they ask him to put them in touch with the research facility in Phoenix where David's body was taken to. They found out that the body was no longer there due to his body had a certain condition that would not allow them to do research on his body. They got possession of David's body and they sent it to the medical examiner's office. They decided to give Cynthia a call, pretending to be a scientist from the research facility, and tried to blackmail her, stating that his body did not pass and that things weren't adding up, that it appears to be a murder due to tissue samples and a failed preliminary check. He tells her that if she does not pay up, he's going to take his findings to the police. The plot didn't end up working. She just denied it and hung up on them. So now they're like, okay. Plan B. They have a judge sign off on a warrant to search the Mueller residence, and while that is underway, they bring in Cynthia for questioning. They tell her that they received a call from the research facility stating that things weren't adding up, and they're asking her, what's going on? What do you know about this? Why is his body not being accepted? That's weird. You should be able to do research. The cops said that Cynthia then starts to paint a picture of Chuck that he was obsessed with her, that he would keep coming on to her. And even though he was nice, that she just wasn't interested in him at all. They said that in her interview, she was all over the place and very hard to stay on focus. And it was very hard for her to stay on focus. She ended the interview by telling the detectives, he did it because he loves me. He told me. And just walks out of the interview room that that was it <laughs> didn't realize you could do that i mean i know you have a right to leave but eh, i don't know they have no physical evidence just a confession from charlie and a denial from cynthia they're like what in the hell are we gonna do with this at 8 a.m the next day the autopsy for David is started, and the medical examiner gives the detective a call, and he says, I may not be able to tell you the exact reason why he died, but I can tell you what he didn't die from, and that's ALS. The detective is stunned, and he's like, I'm sorry, can, can you please repeat that? And he said, David did not die from ALS. That is not what killed David. The detective must now travel back to Henderson, Nevada to talk to Chuck again. This time around though, he says that he made the whole story up because he was mad at her for ending their affair. Six months prior 
Cynthia took a trip to see her father at the RV park in Butler City, Pennsylvania, and that's where she met Charles. They seemed to really hit it off, so that's when she decided that she needed more help around the house, and she hired Angel. So while he was taking care of David, they could sneak off and have sex, but then that wasn't enough. So Cynthia came up with another plan, but this time was to move him into the house. That's right. It wasn't her father's idea, like she had told David. She concocted the whole plan. He told the detectives that after the murder, Cynthia turned very cold and told him that she didn't need him anymore. And he was hurt. He was very heartbroken. He was in love with her. They're still not sure what to make out of all of this, but they tell him they're not buying it. So he tells them, fine, I did it. Let's get this whole thing over and starts to tell his next and final answer. He told them that one day him and Cynthia were sitting in the garage drinking wine, just hanging out, and they found themselves planning David's death. He remembers her saying he's going to die anyways. So Chuck tells Cynthia that he saw a movie once where they put a plastic bag over someone's head and then smothered them with a pillow. So that night, around 2 a.m., they went into his room and checked on him. He was asleep. So Cynthia put a bag over his head and then the pillow over his face while Chuck restrained David's right arm until she was finished. Chuck told the detectives that he did put up a fight. After it was done, they took the bag and put the pillow back and left the room. Chuck was so in love with Cynthia and he thought that they were going to start a new life together. Money was on the way. David's out of the picture. Life's going to be great. In fact, the day David's body was sent to the research facility in Phoenix, Arizona, Charles thought that they were going to go celebrate and start their new life. Unfortunately for Charles, Cynthia had other plans. She cut him off completely. Both Charles and Cynthia were arrested and were facing murder charges. More and more facts started to come out about the real life of the Mueller's. Angel Petit's Estrada, his caregiver, told detectives that the minute he started working for them, he noticed the marriage was very estranged. They were always arguing and that it could get pretty ugly. David even confided in Angel that he was scared for his life. One day while they were sitting there watching TV, he told him that they're going to kill me in this house and that it was completely out of nowhere. He said that there were days that David would be normal, and then there would be days where he was lost. He was so in and out of it. David was convinced that people were trying to hurt and poison him. So far to the point that in March of 2012, he packed up and secretly checked himself into an assisted living facility while Cynthia and the kids went to visit her parents. When she got home, she was livid. She went and picked them back up, and this poor man was completely terrified. I'm sorry, if you have the balls to get up and leave, you better tell them don't make me go with her. You already made it there. You are safe. Angel also told them that when Chuck first moved in, the mood in the house lightened, at least for a little while. He said that he wasn't exactly sure what was going on in the house, but he personally 
felt that Cynthia and Charles flirting was crossing boundaries, and it actually made him uncomfortable from time to time. A few weeks before David's death, they were all sitting around, and Cynthia said, if you were to kill someone, how would you do it and get away with it? On trial, they were able to show planning, preparation, and foresight. They told the jury that when Cynthia got the first bill from the assisted living facility, she exploded since the money to, to fund his stay there was coming out of David's life insurance. The plan started at 400000 but since they were having issues with the mortgage and credit cards, they were already down to about 200000 The more they took, the less she gets in the end, and she wasn't having that. David had put in his wishes that he wanted to set up a trust fund for their two children that was worth $3,000, but he was not able to process the paperwork without Cynthia's signature, and she refused to sign it. The fund was to be partially funded by David's $500,000 life insurance. He also had in his wishes that he wanted to donate some of the money to the research facility that his body was taken to to help fund the experiments. But again, Cynthia wasn't having it. They found that she had already signed up on dating sites, telling people that her husband was already dead. Internet searches also showed that she was looking up Dr. Kevorkian information, stories, articles. Natasha, who was the family's nanny, took the stand and said that she was in the house the night of the murder. She heard Cynthia and Charles in the garage drinking and smoking and that Cynthia was extremely drunk, so bad that Natasha walked her to bed, got in bed with her to make sure she was okay, and slept there. She said Charles had to have done this alone because she was literally laying in bed with Cynthia. Cynthia said that he did it because he was in love with her, that they never had a relationship, it was all in his head, that he was a stalker, you know, stage five, whatever you want to call them, and she had absolutely nothing to do with it. On June 11, 2015, the verdict came in for both, and they were both found guilty on all accounts. Cynthia was found guilty of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, fraud scheme, felony theft, and misuse of POA and misuse of power of attorney, and received life with no possibility of parole. Charles ended up pleading guilty to second-degree murder, and he got 16 years. But karma game a little early, and he ended up passing away behind bars the following year. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can get your crime fix on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While there, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, or give that five-star rating. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, but let's be real on Facebook, nobody cares. Also, you can listen to episodes at crimeovercocktails.com. You can check out merch if you want to help support the show. All right, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.